listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture reading this morning is Daniel 8, uh, verses 1 through 17. In the third year of the reign of King Balthazar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after the one that had appeared to me at first. In the vision, I was looking and saw myself in Susa, the capital in the province of Elam, and I was by the river Uli. I looked up and saw a ram standing beside the river. It had two horns. Both horns were long, but one was longer than the other and the longer, one up, the longer one came up second. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. All the beasts were powerless to withstand it, and no one could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became strong. As I was watching, a male goat appeared from the west, coming across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. The goat had a horn between its eyes. It came toward the ram with the two horns that I had seen standing beside the river, and it ran at it with savage force. I saw it approaching the ram. It was enraged against it and struck the ram, breaking its two horns. The ram did not have power to withstand it. It threw the ram down to the ground and trampled upon it, and there was no one who could rescue the lamb from its ram from its power. Then the male goat grew exceedingly great, but at the height of its power, a great, the great horn was broken, and in its place there came up four prominent horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, a little one, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, towards the east, and towards the beautiful land. It grew as high as the host of heaven. It threw down to the earth some of the host and some of the stars and trampled on them. Even against the prince of the host, it acted arrogantly. It took the regular burnt offering away from him and overthrew the place of his sanctuary. Because of wickedness, the host was given over to it together with the burnt offering. It cast truth to the ground and kept prospering in what it did. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the other one that spoke, For how long is this vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled? And he answered him, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I tried to understand it. Then someone appeared standing before me, having the appearance of a man, and I heard a human voice by the the Uli calling, Gabriel, help this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I I became frightened and fell prostrate. But he said to me, Understand, O mortal, that the vision is for the time of the end. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thanks for that reading, Cindy. You're welcome. Anyone else confused? <laughs> Maybe some folks at home. Um, 
man, I gotta say, in all my years of, of like preparing for ministry, you know, going to seminary, studying the Bible, I never dreamed I'd get to preach a sermon called The Charging Ram and the Unicorn Goat. Just take that in for a minute. I think we have a bigger version. There it is. Take this in for a minute. Just like absorb it. I actually paid for this. I had to buy a license. I couldn't find a free version of this picture anywhere online. So I had to pay. Best 10 bucks I've ever spent on sermon preparation, hands down, to be able to use this picture. Um, Man, that is amazing. Couldn't you see that like framed over a mantle somewhere? Maybe in, in your house with like a... Uh, An inspirational Bible verse, you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Giant goat. (laughs) Wouldn't that be amazing? I'm having too much fun with this. This is one of those passages in the Bible that, like, you read it, and you know it means something. You know there's something probably important going on here. You just have no idea what it is. Um, It's kind of like that dude with the mashed potatoes in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Does anyone remember that movie, Richard Dreyfuss, you know? This means something. I don't know what it is, but this feels important. Oh, man. If you missed our sermon last week, um, then, man, you are even more confused than the rest of us. Apologies. Uh, But over the next six weeks, we are going to be diving into the second half of the book of Daniel, Daniel 7 to 12, which is this collection of some pretty out there dreams and visions of these Jewish refugees living in Babylon some 2,500 years ago. Uh, Last week we talked about Daniel 7, this vision of four beasts and the Son of Man. I think we have a picture from that one. If you weren't here, go back online and listen to this one. It was a lot of fun, as you can see. Um, But we talked about this last week, but this vision of four beasts, we talked about how it's about four kingdoms— And it's the four kingdoms who would rule over God's people during the exile. Now, does anyone remember any of those kingdoms? Just shout them out if if you remember one or two of them. Babylon is one, yep. Rome, Persia, and Greece. Very, you got all four. Very good. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. In this chapter, we get another vision. This time, there's two animals and we're basically zooming this, uh, doing this. We're zooming in on this picture, this vision of these beasts, and we're focusing on two of them, Persia and Greece. Last week I mentioned that like everything in these dreams means something. Every little symbol is important. And today we're going to get into the nitty-gritty on this one. We're going to analyze this one a little bit. So fellow Bible nerds, get excited. Um, to start out, though, I want to recap this dream a little bit. I want to do like a play-by-play just so we understand the visual, we understand what's going on here, and we're all following along. Does that sound like a plan? Okay. This is a vision of Daniel. That's that guy who's freaking out uh, by the river. Same guy who's going to get thrown into the lion's den. It's that Daniel. And it comes in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar of Babylon. If you remember the first half of Daniel... Uh, We covered back in January. That was the guy who saw the writing on the wall. That's Belshazzar of Babylon. And the third year of King Belshazzar puts this somewhere around 550 BC. You don't have to remember that, though. There's not going to be a test. The only thing that's important to note is that at this time, Babylon was the big empire in charge, but there was another empire on the rise called Persia. And this Jewish refugee named Daniel, who's living in Babylon, has a dream 
where he's sitting in Persia, or in Susa, which is the capital of Persia. So the Persians are coming. That's the idea. That's the backdrop here. Now in this dream, Daniel sees a ram standing by the river. The ram has two horns, and it starts thrashing around, just like making a mess of things. It's moving in different directions, and no other animal, no beast can seem to stop it. But then this goat shows up. And you guys, this is one heck of a goat. (laughs) Like, you have never seen a goat like this one. It moves across the earth without touching the ground. It's got a giant horn on its head coming up between its eyes. So this is a flying unicorn goat. This is fun. (sighs) Not sure what Daniel, well, never mind. This flying unicorn goat comes in, though, and it takes out the ram. It gores the ram, rips off the ram's horns, and tramples it on the ground. But then this goat's horn falls off, and four new horns sprout up in its place. Then we're told that out of these, little, these four horns, a new little horn springs up, And it grows and grows and grows, this horn, reaching into heaven until it basically declares war on God. That's the dream. Kind of a weird one. But do we get the visual, at least? You've got these two animals, you've got these horns, and one of them grows and grows. We following along so far with that? Sweet. Now, just like in last week's dream, this dream gets interpreted within the dream itself. There's a couple of angels on the scene, and one of them interprets this dream for Daniel. It's actually Gabriel, same guy who's going to tell Mary, like, surprise, you're having a baby. That's Gabriel. And to understand this dream and the interpretation we get, you've got to recognize two things. You've got to know two symbols that are really important. Animals symbolize empires, kingdoms, nations. And horns are kings, rulers, leaders of nations. Empires are kingdoms, horns are kings. So it would have been super obvious to Daniel's audience, but for us, I've given us a little cheat sheet. With that in mind, I want to read Gabriel's interpretation of this dream, and it starts in verse 19. You can follow along in your pew Bibles, or it'll be up here on the screen. Gabriel said, listen, and I will tell you what will take place later in the period of wrath. For it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. The male goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between its eyes is the first king. So the ram with two horns represents Media and Persia. We'll talk about that in a second. And the goat is Greece. Now just show of hands, quick poll. How many of us are boned up on our ancient Greek and Persian history? Of course not. You're not nerds. None of us know this stuff, but that's okay. That is totally normal. Um, Has anyone seen the movie The 300? I'm not sure how many folks here have. Okay, Lori's seen The 300. Came out like 15, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, There was another version of this movie back in the 60s called The 300 Spartans. I don't know if that, I had never heard of that one, but it's the same story. It's a story of 300 Spartans, 300 ancient Greek, Roman, uh, Greek warriors who took on the entire Persian army. It's the start of this war between Greek and Persia. This is the war from Daniel's vision. It's the Bible's version of that. Warner Brothers tells it with Gerard Butler, the Bible uses a goat, but it's the same story, basically. 
Daniel is seeing a war that's going to take place a couple centuries in the future between two empires that aren't even in charge yet, which is pretty wild. I want to show you a map of the Persian Empire from around the time of Daniel. Um, You can see Persia and, of course, Babylon, which was kind of the big dog. You even get Greece right here in the top left. That's like a little bit of Greece poking in. Just spilled my tea. Persia became the dominant empire on the scene because it was really two empires, the Medes and the Persians, two really closely related kingdoms that teamed up to take over the world. That's the ram with the two horns. And then when this ram in Daniel's vision starts charging, it charges westward, northward, and southward. He's describing the expansion of the Persian Empire. Do you see how that works? Now, nobody could stop Persia. Even mighty Babylon, the lion with eagle's wings that we talked about last week, even they fell to Persia. But then the Persians had to go and tick off 300 Spartans up near Greece, which triggered the Greeks, a goat from the west, to rise up and fight back. Do you see what Daniel is describing here? Is this kind of making sense? Are we tracking? See, nodding. Good. Now, that horn on the goat was the first king of Greece. That'd be Alexander the Great. We've heard of Alexander the Great, right? He was the Greek king who defeated the Persians, took over the world. But then he died with no heirs. The horn fell off, and Alexander's kingdom was divided in four and given to his four generals, four new horns on the goat. This is a little weird, right? Like this, this kind of looks like somebody's nightmare. You, th- this is a little hard to translate. You need a really fancy map to understand all of this. Talking about kingdoms as animals and livestock and horns, it doesn't translate really well to today. But believe it or not, we still do this. We still use animals to talk about nations. We just do it in a different form. Let me show you something to maybe make this make more sense. This is a political cartoon from the Cold War. You've got a giant bear and a giant eagle. They're standing on two sides of this ravine, and they're separated. Uh, It's labeled, what does it say here? Irresponsible statements and deepening suspicions. Now, those of us who can remember the Cold War, who's the bear? Russia. Russia, exactly. And who's the eagle? It's us, that's right. I've got a more recent one. This one deals with climate change. Um, Here you've got, oh, it's kind of hard to see. An eagle, a tiger, and a dragon. They're all chain-smoking cigarettes labeled greenhouse gases, lovely. And the eagle is like, you guys need to cut back, right? This one came from The Economist. Um, They're nice enough to label it for us. China, India, and the USA. Daniel chapter 8, this vision of like a ram and a goat, is a political cartoon. It is a really elaborate 4th century BC political cartoon. Which I think brings up a pretty important question that we need to ask ourselves if we're going to have any hope of understanding this. 
what is a fourth century BC political cartoon doing in my Bible? See, if you're anything like me, you grew up being told that religion is a strictly personal matter. It's about saving individual souls, getting souls into heaven. Faith is concerned with what you think up here and what you feel in here, and stuff like politics, international relations, war, that's all secular. We don't talk about that stuff in church because we're talking about what's going on up there, not what's happening down here. That's what faith is about. But if that was true, there probably wouldn't be a political cartoon in the middle of the book of Daniel. And it's not just the book of Daniel either. Read the prophets sometime. Read books like um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos. The Bible is loaded with instructions and warnings aimed at entire nations. Read the historical books of the Old Testament. God's people often rise and fall on the basis of their governments, which is terrifying to think about. At least it terrifies me. This pushes against, like, everything we've been taught to think about religion and faith. Thinking of religion as this otherworldly, impersonal, somewhere off in the clouds type of thing, when maybe it's about this world just as much. Apparently, God has an opinion on how nations conduct themselves. That's our first takeaway from this. God has an opinion on what nations do. God has an opinion on how nations treat the poor, how we interact with other nations, how we make war and maintain peace. God has an opinion on how we police ourselves and respond to violence. God has an opinion on empire building and colonialism, and it's not good. It's easy to miss this if your religion is just about me and Jesus, but it becomes a lot more obvious if we take the Bible as a whole. So that's one takeaway. God has an opinion on these things. That alone would be enough, but there's more we can pull out here. Another takeaway is don't put your trust in empires. This is an important one. Remember, Daniel's still living under the Babylonian Empire at this point. Persia hasn't even conquered the world yet. I imagine in Daniel's day, there were probably a lot of people who were pretty freaked out by Persia, right? It's like Babylon's pretty bad, but I mean, at least we have homes, we have food. It's not that bad. But man, if Persia rises up, if the ram takes over the world, well, then we're in trouble. There are probably a lot of other people who were like, yay, go Persia, take out the Babylonian oppressors, right? Meanwhile, here's Daniel, like three empires ahead of us, being like, guys, we've seen this before. We've seen this story. We know how this ends. Do you remember Egypt? Remember Assyria? Remember when we tried to make our own kingdom? Remember Babylon? You don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to see the future to see this stuff. This is what empires do. They rise up, they take over the world, and then they fall to a bigger, badder empire. That's history. Don't put your trust in empire. 
One more takeaway I think is important. But to get to this one, we've got to talk about that little horn. Do you guys remember the little horn? It sprouts out of one of those four horns on the goat. Let's read that part again. It's verse 9. It'll be on the screen. Out of one of these four horns came another horn, a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, the east, and the beautiful land. That's Jerusalem, by the way, the beautiful land. This little horn grew as high as the host of heaven. It threw down to the earth some of the host and some of the stars and trampled on them. Even against the prince of the host, it acted arrogantly. It took the regular burnt offering away from him and overthrew the place of his sanctuary. Because of wickedness, the host was given over to it together with the regular burnt offering. It cast truth to the ground and kept prospering in what it did. What is going on with this little horn? What do horns symbolize again? Kings, that's right. Horns are leaders, rulers of nations. Alexander the Great was the first horn. He was the big horn on the goat. He fell off. Four other horns took his place. His kingdom was divided in four, given to four kings. And the Holy Land, the beautiful country, Daniel's homeland, fell under the reign of King Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who was descended from one of Daniel's four generals. This is his picture. This is King Antiochus IV. He named himself Epiphanes. That was a title he gave himself. It means the revelation of God. So clearly he had a healthy self-image. Guy thought he was God's gift to the earth, literally. And as you might guess, Antiochus IV was not a good guy. Um, His story is found in the book of Maccabees. That's one of those books that our Catholic friends have in their Bibles, but we don't. That's like a whole other conversation. But Antiochus IV Epiphanes was really bad. He tried to eliminate Judaism, Daniel's religion, and replace it with like the Greco and eventually Roman imperial religion. He outlawed circumcision. Um, If any infants were found to have been circumcised in secret, he had them killed. He tore up the scrolls in the temple and threw them on the ground. He threw, threw truth to the ground. He killed the high priest and mixed his blood in with the sacrifices. The host was given together with the burnt offering, if you remember that part of the dream. He filled the temple in Jerusalem with idols of Zeus and other Greek gods. He slaughtered a pig on the altar, which is a big no-no. And then he stopped all sacrifices in the temple. He took the regular burnt offering away and overthrew the sanctuary, essentially stopping the Jews from being able to practice their religion for about three and a half years, or 2,300 evenings and mornings, which is a reference in verse 14. I know this is a lot. But that's Antiochus IV Epiphanes a guy you've probably never heard of. Kind of makes you want to read the book of Maccabees, right? Anybody? Maybe just me? I'm the only sick one. Kurt? Kurt's sick like me, too. So this vision, this dream is warning Daniel and his contemporaries about a really evil king, a brutal king, a king who's a sort of anti-Messiah, a king who's going to present himself as God and require total obedience and submission, essentially declaring war on God himself. 
Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes became the template, the model really, for the Antichrist. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, anyone here ever like dabble in that one? It's a weird one too, okay? If you've read the book of Revelation, there are echoes of the book of Daniel all over the place. Revelation is another book with dreams and visions about beasts and horns, and there's even a ruler, an anti-messiah of sorts, who declares war on God. The book of Revelation was written by this early follower of Jesus uh, named John, who also wrote some of the letters we have in our Bibles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And John chapter 2 warns us about these antichrists, plural, which is interesting. Check this out. 1 John 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. As you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Antichrists, plural. See, usually when Christians talk about the antichrist, which like we don't do very often here because it sounds a little too tinfoil hatty, right? <laughs> When Christians use this language, it's usually in very apocalyptic, end-of-the-world sort, sort of terms, right? Talking about the Antichrist, the final Antichrist who will declare war on God. But when John uses this language, it's much more down-to-earth. It's much more present. He's drawing on a historical figure, and he's talking about other historical figures who are going to come claiming to offer salvation only to sow destruction. Those are antichrists. That's the Christian language for those kind of leaders. So the other lesson I think we should take away from Daniel 8 is be very careful who you follow. Be careful what leaders you give your allegiance to. That goes for like politics, culture, the church. Be careful who you follow. Because see, what Christians often do is basically the same thing as everyone else. We follow flawed human beings. We give them our allegiance. We give them our hope. And then they let us down. They say they're going to save us, but time after time after time, they let us down, sometimes like miserably. But as Christians, we should be the last ones giving blind allegiance to anyone. We should be the most skeptical, the first in line to challenge and question. We should be the last one looking for some human figure to save us because we already have a savior. So be very careful who you follow. Be careful what empire you pledge your allegiance to. Because God cares about this stuff, apparently. Beware of leaders who exalt themselves and put others down. Beware of leaders who demand absolute obedience and worship. Beware of leaders who have no moral compass or anyone who presents themselves as your only hope. Antiochus Epiphanes was not the first, and he wasn't the last. But our hope lies in Christ and his kingdom alone. Let's pray. God, we thank you 
We thank you for strange dreams about angry rams and unicorn goats. Dreams that challenge us to check our allegiances. We thank you for being a God who cares not only about the things of heaven, but also the stuff going on right here on earth. And God, we ask that you'd help us to do likewise and to do so faithfully. In the name of Christ and his kingdom, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.